The following audio is from Community Bible Church in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information about our church, Thank you for listening to this audio presentation from Community Bible Church. For more information, please visit us at 6005 Edmondson Pike in Nashville, Tennessee, or online at cbcnashville.org. They saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were departing from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As, as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud <clears throat> saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. You can be seated. I ask you to turn this morning to Deuteronomy. We're going to be starting with the very end of chapter 16 as we work our way through all the way through chapter 18 this morning. We've been working our way through Deuteronomy and we're kind of taking large chunks as we walk our way through and try to give a very brief uh, review this morning just to kind of get you up to speed. Deuteronomy, as I keep repeating, is, is a series of sermons preached by Moses preached by a, a pastor, a shepherd of his congregation, the nation of Israel on their way out of Egypt, a pastor who is dying in a sense because he has been told that he will not get to enter the promised land. He is going to go on a mountaintop and he will look and he will see the promised land, but that is as close as he will get. So these series of sermons by Moses are Moses pleading, this, this pastor pleading with his congregation to remember the things that God has taught them along the way, to remember the God who rescued them out of the land of Egypt, out of the bondage of slavery. And he wants them to remember these things as they go into this land that is occupied by, by heathen nations, nations that the Lord is using Israel to go in and judge because of their evil. And they are to purge the land of that evil. And they are to establish this nation, this nation with beautiful laws, laws that reflect who their God is, who their Redeemer is. And we are now in this second sermon, and this is the longest of the sermons. Back in chapter 5, where it began, Moses began by by laying out, by repeating the Ten Commandments that they had received at Mount Sinai. And we're now in this part of the sermon where he is expanding on those commandments. He is kind of giving a fuller picture of what each commandment means for the people. And this morning, as we're looking at chapter 16, verse 18, all the way through the end of chapter 18, this is the section where Moses is... Uh, expanding, expounding upon the fifth commandment, the fifth commandment to, for children uh, to honor their parents. Now, a major theme that we want to remember as we go through 
this exposition that Moses is doing of the Ten Commandments is, is delighting in what the Lord has given us, delighting in his law. This is even singing this morning, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. As, as we come to this expansion of the fifth commandment, which we'll see deals more than just with children and their parents, but really all authority. As we come to that and we see that, we have to realize that we are a people who kind of buck against authority. We hear, we, we read in scripture words like submit and submission. And we cower from it. We put up our, our fists and like, okay, I'm ready for this fight. But do we realize we're fighting the very word of God? We need to see God's word, God's law as something that we delight in. That when we, can, we read something like submitting to authorities, that we don't read it through the lens of our earthly mind that sees God's law as something that is evil and something that is against us. But we see it as his children. And we can say, Lord, my, my natural self wants to push back against this. I am a independent American. I don't need to submit to anyone. But instead of saying that, I say that that might be my natural inclination, but that is not who I am now. I am your child. I want, I see this, I see your law as something beautiful and you command me to submit to my authorities. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. As we work through this today, the passage that Raj just read will really come into play and a section of this text where Moses promises a, a prophet to come, uh, a prophecy that's really in its fullest fulfillment found in Christ. And the, the command to, to listen to him and on that Mount of Transfiguration, that scene that Raj read for us, that is the voice that comes out of heaven. This is my son, Listen to him. So I, I really hope as we work through this, that if you're here this morning as a child of God, that you will hear this not as something that just rubs you the wrong way and think that can't be my God, but rather say, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. The, the youth, uh, they were at a conference yesterday a number of uh, us adults went with them, conference down in Birmingham. And, and I appreciated the speakers. At, at the last session, they sat down for a Q&A, and they had some, some good questions thrown their way, questions dealing with hot topic items or subjects of, of our day and age, transgenderism and submission, uh, women pastors, kind of all these things. And... and what I so much appreciated about them is that they didn't sit up there and say, I think this, I think that. They admitted, like these are hard questions in the sense that they, the answer that we give isn't an answer the world likes to hear. But they said, 
and they opened the word as they all had their Bibles on their laps. This is what the word of God says. Behind me at the uh, at this conference was a, a, a row of people who did not like the answers they heard. And what I heard from them was, well, I don't believe that. I think this, I think that, I think this. We need to be a people who humbly submit to the word of God, even those things that push against our natural inclinations. Let us be a people who submit to God's word, seeing it as something beautiful, more desire to be than fine gold, even the finest of gold and sweeter than the drippings of the honeycomb is the word of God to us. So let me pray and we'll, we'll read uh, portions of our text this morning and then get into it. Father, as we come before your word this morning, I pray just that, that you would help, that you could do what only you can do. That you can soften our hearts to receive it, not as the word of man, but as the word of God, the very word of God. And Father, in that regard, I pray that you would help me, that you would be with me in my weakness to say only those things that are in agreement with your word. And Father, if I stumble in error and I say something that is not in agreement with your word, I pray that you would reveal that to me and reveal that to all here. Help us to be a people who diligently seek out your word, like the Bereans, with a, a level of excitement. Go hear your word and take it home and search these things out to see if they are true, delighting in you. Father, it's you that we are here to, here to listen to. Give us attentive ears. Give us soft hearts. Just help us in our weaknesses to be a people who delight in you, who see Christ and his beauty, the, his fulfillment of all these things that we so frequently fail. Help us to see him and rejoice and to trust him. Father, we lift all of these things up. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, for the sake of time, I, I want to read, I'm going to end up reading most of our passage this morning, but there's going to be certain sections that I, that I do need to uh, skip just for the sake of time. But let's, if you have, again, if you have your Bibles open with you, Deuteronomy 16, we're going to be again in verse 18. Moses says, you shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality, and you shall not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall follow that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not plant any tree as an Asherah besides the altar of the Lord your God that you shall make, and you shall not set up a pillar which the Lord your God hates. 
You shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or a sheep in which is a blemish, any defect whatever, and that for that is an abomination to the Lord your God. If there is found among you with any of your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, a man or woman who does what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, in transgressing his covenant, and has gone and served other gods and worshipped them, or the sun or the moon, or any of the hosts of heaven which I have forbidden, and it is told you, and you hear of it, then you shall inquire diligently. And if it is true and certain that such an abomination has been done in Israel, then you shall bring out to, bring out to your gates that man or woman who has done this evil thing, and you shall stone that man or woman to death with stones. On the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. The hand of the witnesses shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. If any case arises requiring decision between one kind of homicide and another, one kind of legal right and another, or one kind of assault and another, any case within your towns that is too difficult for you, then you shall arise and go up to the place that the Lord your God will choose. And you shall come to the Levitical priests and the judge who is in the office in those days, and you shall consult them, and they shall declare to you the decision. Then you shall do according to what they declare to you from that place that the Lord will choose. And you shall be careful to do according to all that they direct you, according to the instructions that they give you, and according to the decision which they pronounce to you, you shall do. You shall not turn aside from the verdict that they declare to you, either to the right hand or to the left. The man who acts presumptuously by not obeying the priest who stands to minister there before the Lord your God or the judge, that man shall die. So you shall purge the evil from Israel and all the people who hear and fear and not act presumptuously again. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you, whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You shall not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to turn, return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law, approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of his law and these statutes, and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. We're going to jump down to verse 15 of chapter 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen 
just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the, Lord, the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. So the question, as we think through this, I've already set this up to a degree, but a couple questions I want you to think through as we work through this text together is first, do you honor the authorities that God has placed over you? Do you honor the authorities God has placed over you? I mean, we may wonder, well, what, I hear some in this text about obeying and honoring, our, our, is honoring and obeying the same thing? Well, ob obedience and submission is a fruit of honoring. It comes from it, and it's so, so uh, tied together that even Paul in Ephesians, as he's addressing children, and he references the fifth commandment, children, honor your father and mother. He phrases it, children, obey your parents in the Lord. So there is that, that level of obedience. Again, it's a fruit that comes from how we honor authority. Then the other question that I think oftentimes is neglected when we look at these sort of texts is, do you honor those that God has placed under your authority? Because this text goes both ways. It's both for the leaders, for those under the leaders to honor them, and the, the leaders, as we'll see, in a sense, to honor those who are under them. The New Testament tells us to outdo one another in showing honor. It's like this, this race that we are all in. I, I recently heard a, a pastor describe it so well. It's, um, like, like children racing along and having fun in this race to see who might win and who's fastest. I remember racing against my dad as a kid. And, you know, he'd run a little slower so I could, I could win. And then eventually I started getting faster than him. But it's this fun race, and that's kind of the spirit of outdoing one another and showing honor is we delight in it. It's a joy as we are trying to honor one another. So again, as we consider this text, it is Moses expositing the fifth commandment. The fifth commandment, which he restates in Deuteronomy 5.16, is honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long 
and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. We need to remember again that this is the, the application of what Moses is about to spell out. What I, what I just read through is specific application to the nation of Israel. But what we can learn from it is when we see how Moses applies the fifth commandment to the nation of Israel, we, we learn from it the specific principle that applies even to us as God's law endures forever. So this does go beyond just the relationship between children and their parents as you think about how the New Testament unpacks this. Think about Ephesians and Colossians and First Peter, Peter as, as they spell these things out, they begin typically with children. They go to the relationships of parents, the relationships of servants and their masters the relationship of us under all authority as we're told to submit to rulers and all those in authority over us. The, the Baptist catechism, which is, which is built on, on the framework of the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism of the fifth commandment says this, the fifth commandment requires preserving honor and performing the duties belonging to everyone in their several places and relations as superiors, inferiors, or equals. We ought to be a people who are about preserving honor and performing the duties that belong to each one of us. Again, as we think about this as duties that God has given us to do, so it's not something to shrink back from. Say, hey, can, can, can you... Give me some other duty because I don't really like that one. But it's something that we ought to receive. Again, trusting in Christ. The general overview and the structure of this passage before we start looking at some specifics is Moses really working backwards. He, he, he works from uh, what we might refer to as the inferior or the, the lesser of authorities, and he works up to the, the highest authority. He begins with these regional judges, and he speaks to how these regional judges ought to rule, and he gives some examples of some of the, the things they might face. And then he says, if that's too difficult, you take it to the next level of authority, which you, you go to that place that God has designated as his place to worship, to go to the priests and to the, the, the judge ruling in that day. And then he, he brings up something that will come up in Israel's future with a king. And there's a little confusion here as... We think of uh, 1 Samuel when Saul is, is brought in and Samuel's first reaction to the people demanding a king and think, well, they, they were never supposed to have a king. But that's, not, that's actually not true. God had established, even all the way back in Genesis, him promising his promises to Abraham. He mentions a king. Even the blessing upon the line of Judah mentions kingship. So it's not that Israel wasn't meant to have a king, but what was pro the problem with the people when they were looking to bring Saul on as king is they really wanted, much like the golden calf that they formed at Sinai, that they wanted the God on the mountain that, they, that 
kind of terrified them wasn't good enough, so they wanted this God. And that was the problem with Israel with Saul is they wanted a king like the other nations in the sense that we want to trust in someone that we can see and touch. We don't really want to trust God. We, we, want, we want this man to trust in. And that's very much in that, that pat, this section here in Deuteronomy 17, the whole picture of him not acquiring horses and silver and gold and wives, those are all things that the ancient kings would do for power. You're build, you build your army. And the war machine of the ancient days is the horse. So you build your, your army with your horses. You build up your riches in silver and gold. You acquire many wives, which part of that is, is making alliances with the nations around you. And you begin to trust in yourself. But that's what God is saying in that Section is no, the king that I choose for you will continue to trust in me. The, the major theme of Deuteronomy that this passage again draws attention to is a question that would have been on Israel's mind as Moses keeps telling them that he's about to depart, that he can't go with them into the promised land. This, this question of who will replace Moses who will replace Moses? And again, as I've already said, this passage even points forward all the way to Christ. But if kind of a, a five, five points that we're going to walk through just to help you track. First, we're going to look at God's standard for his leaders. We're going to look at God's standard for those under leaders. We'll look at Israel's failure to uphold God's standard. And it's never fair just to point the finger at Israel if we don't see that finger come point right back at us. So we need to see our failure to uphold God's standard. And then finally, we'll see Christ's perfection in holding God's standard. So first, God's standard for leaders will as we've been drawing out from all of these, uh, from the commandments so far is the commandments are given not randomly. God doesn't just say, you know what would be nice? I think we're, I'll, I'll just kind of make these random rules for, these, for people to follow. No, we've seen that the, the, the 10 commandments are actually a reflection of who God is. They, they, they describe his character. And this is very much the same way the standard that God gives for his leaders is a standard that he holds to himself, the things that he loves, justice and mercy, showing no partiality. In fact, Moses has already said this in chapter 10. I read this last, I read one of these verses last week. I'll read a little bit more this week. Deuteronomy 10, 17, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. God's not partial. He doesn't so show partiality toward anyone. He's not, not a God who you can grease his palms and he'll take a bribe. He's a God who shows justice even to those who are easy to overlook. This is 
how he describes these leaders, that they need to reflect his character. Leaders also must understand first and foremost that they are servants of God. They are servants of God. Again, Deuteronomy, what we just read, Deuteronomy 17, verse 18, as we think about this section on the king again, as the king comes in and takes, takes possession of the throne, the very thing that shows that it's not about his power and his authority, his might, but that he is a man who is submitting first and foremost to God is his first official duty and office is to take the law and to copy it. And he copies this law. And then again, showing that he's not the utmost authority in all the nation, that he can say, I'm going to copy this law. And you know what? I don't really agree with this. So I'm going to edit that. And I'm going to write kind of what, what seems wise to me because I think that's a little outdated, antiquated. I'm going to update I'm going to update what they call God's word, God's law, to reflect what I believe to be right. No, the, the priests actually would come and they had to approve what he wrote, as the text says. So he would copy the law. The priests would come and re look over and approve of his copy of the law. And what does he do with that? Verse 19, and it shall be with him and he shall read it. Read in it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers. He is supposed to be completely devoted to what God says, to God's wisdom, not his wisdom. I really love this text out of 2 Chronicles 19 as uh, it's Jehoshaphat is establishing these, these judges in the land as he's, he's one of these kings who comes in and begins to build reform. He sees all the ways that Israel has gone, has gone against God's law and he begins to reform and he appoints these judges city by city. And this is what he says to these judges as he, as he appoints them. He says, consider what you do. For you judge not for man, but for the Lord. He is with you in giving judgment. Now then let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God or partiality or taking bribes. Jehoshaphat takes the, the very word that, we're, that we are studying here in Deuteronomy and he applies that to these judges and says it is not for man that you are judging but for the Lord. Leaders, especially Christian leaders, must realize that they are first servants of God. They must submit themselves to God's wisdom, not to their own wisdom, not to the demand of, of the populace, uh, the, the majority rule, not taking partiality as James talks about seeing the rich man and the poor man come into the congregation. It's like, I can dismiss the poor man 
because he doesn't get put money in the offering plate. But I'll go to the, the man that's dressed nicely. I'm going to schmooze him. No, that's not who God is. God gives justice to the widows. So we can't look to our own wisdom, but we must submit to God's wisdom and reflect his character. Leaders must also be servants of those whom they serve. So not only servants of God, recognizing that they are, as elders are called in the New Testament, under shepherds, but they, they are servants of God, but they are also there to serve those who are under them. Verse 20 of chapter 16, this, this phrase that they may, uh, that justice and only justice you shall follow. The whole point of that is that you are seeking the welfare of those that God has entrusted under your care. That you will exercise justice and only justice. I, I read it a second, a second ago and Again, the section about the king sitting in his office, all these things, reading, reading the, the law that he, has, he himself has written and approved by the priests. In verse 20, it says that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers. The leaders, Christian leaders, should not be those whose hearts are lifted up above their brothers. In fact, the, the typical architecture of a, of a sanctuary has the pulpit lifted up. We see this in Nehemiah as Ezra stands to, to read the word of God. They build, they, they build a pulpit for him up above the people. But the whole idea isn't simply that, hey, everyone look at Ezra, or hey, everyone look at Jeremy. I'm the, I'm the focal point here. No, in fact, much like John the Baptist says, I must increase, I, I must decrease and he must increase. The whole idea is that it's lifting up the very word of God, that we are sitting under his word. We are humbly submitting ourselves to what he has to say. I am just a mouthpiece. We submit to him. Leaders' hearts can't be lifted up above the brothers. God has given leaders a unique role and responsibilities and with, with a greater responsibility comes more accountability. But leaders are not above the people that God has entrusted them We serve leaders are to serve God. They are to see that they are there to serve those that God has entrusted to their care. And part of that is they must protect those under their charge. The examples here in Deuteronomy when uh, Moses kind of gives some of the the typical issues that the people of Israel, these judges might face, that these judges might need to bring before the, the priest at, at God's designated place of worship or before the judge that is appointed there are, are issues of worship. We've seen this theme as the, the first commandments really deal, the first four commandments really deal with 
the worship of God, who God is, and the, the worship that he requires of us. And there's this protection that is spelled out. This line that's repeated of purging the evil that is among you, because as the people of Israel would go into the land, they're purging the evil of these nations. But God, God warns them through Moses saying, you're going, to, you're going to be tempted to fall into the very same pitfalls that those nations have. So these are the things you must protect the nation. You must protect my people. You must purge the evil. It's repeated again when someone rebels against the priests. God commands that the person be put to death, purging the evil from Israel. For us as, as Christian leaders and the people of God, you know, the, we, this, this text speaks of witnesses. So it's not just the leaders when they see error happening, but it's all of us stand as witnesses. But in Acts 20, as Paul is, is talking to the elders from Ephesus, listen to this protection that he, he speaks of here. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to take care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Part of this care that leaders are meant to have over those that they are entrusted to care for is protection specifically in the church, we're protecting against false doctrine. Even if we think of the, the commands for when you see your brother in a sin, like go in this spirit of love and truth, gentleness. We are be, to be a people who are caring and protecting God's people. So God's standard for leaders is that they must first submit to God. They realize that they are servants of God. They are servants of those whom they serve. Part of that service is protecting them, protecting those under their charge. But God also in this text gives standards for those under leaders. Deuteronomy 17 Verse 10 says, then you shall do according to what they declare to you from that place that the Lord will choose. And you shall be careful to do according to all that they direct you, according to the instructions that they give you and according to the decision which they pronounce to you, you shall do. You shall not turn aside from the verdict that they declare to you either to the right hand or to the left. We must submit to the leaders that God has given us. But we do this recognizing that we, just like the leaders, are first servants of God. And this really makes that whole economy of leadership and authority make sense. 
because we understand some basic principles. As Paul says in Romans 13:1, there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. The, the New Testament instruction around children and their parents and uh, husbands and wives and servants and submission to authority is that repeated phrase, in the Lord. We submit in the Lord. We do our work as unto the Lord. You see, when we first see ourselves as servants of God before being servants of men, then we recognize that it is God ultimately that we are obeying. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. I can have, as, as Peter will say in his epistle, even to those masters that are unjust, obey them. Why? Because my work isn't just for them. My work is for the Lord. And I trust him that he has placed those in authority over me because his word says he has. Not a single person in authority is placed there apart from the will of God. He has appointed all authority. So ultimately we are obeying God not man. So we must first see ourselves as servants of God. And this command from the New Testament, 1 Timothy 2, Paul says, pray for your leaders. I think this reveals something much deeper than just a, a outward obedience but if we pray for our leaders, that, that shows a heart attitude. This, this is where honor really kind, kind of comes to full bloom. Because it's one thing to simply just obey. You know, you can be that, that child who says, I, I may be, you know, sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. As we've seen as the great, kind of this great theme throughout Deuteronomy, we have a picture of a heart here. The idea of obeying the Lord your God with all your heart. It is a heart issue. God is after our hearts. So he doesn't want us simply just going through the paces, obeying those who, got, who he has put in authority over us. He wants us to love them. He wants us to pray for them. It's a difficult thing sometimes to pray for those who are in authority over you, especially when they are that variety that's unjust. In a typical workplace, it's that boss who you think, how did he get this job? I know this, I know this business inside out more than him. But it's that sort of attitude that really reflects that we are not, we don't realize who we're serving. It's that sort of attitude that makes us, re, that makes us focus on this level of authority, the man, the person that's over us. But when we are praying 
for those in authority over us. We honor them. We respect them because we know that ultimately we are obeying God. It reveals a lot about our heart. Quickly, we'll go through a few examples of Israel's failure to uphold God's standard in these areas. Just a few things that I think are important for us in this context. First, the preacher of Deuteronomy, Moses, multiple times in this letter, he brings up that he can't go into the promised land. And the reason he can't go in the promised land, there, there's actually a couple allusions in it that there might be some other things as well. But the main one that we know for sure is that God told him to speak to a rock. And he goes and in his anger stands at that rock and looks at those people, not looking at them as though they are brothers, but looking at them as though they are underlings who are just annoying him. And he takes the rod, his staff, and he smacks that rock. And God graciously gives the people water from the rock, even though Moses disobeyed. But God tells Moses, you did not honor me before the people. And for that, you are not going to enter the promised land. But I think that's telling because... Moses, as the preacher, is pointing out his own failings. His own failings. And it's very much, in, in a way, as he addresses not only his failings, but their failings throughout this whole book, he's saying, learn from the past. Honor the Lord your God with all your heart. One of my favorite stories, and preach a whole sermon on it, but I can't because I'm preaching a different sermon this morning. But 2 Chronicles 33 talks about King Manasseh. And it's very interesting because as you read the section in Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 through 14, I just have you read that. It's one that we didn't read this morning. But read, read the practices that God tells the nation that they cannot practice, that you shall not do these things, King Manasseh does every single one of them, even sacrificing his children. This is where the nation gets, and it's for Manasseh's sin that God says, I'm going to carry you away into exile. Enough. Even with kings after Manasseh who, who show great reforms, that's wonderful. But God says, I need to deal with you because of the sins that you've committed. And he blames one of the kings who gets the biggest blame is Manasseh. And just to preach a mini sermon on it is the beauty of it is Manasseh repents and God brings him back. So you read through this section and you think, oh my goodness, who would ever do these things? Who could sacrifice their children? Manasseh did it. And as Manasseh was carried off into his own little exile, he calls out to God and God listens and God restores him. I, again, I could preach a whole sermon on it. It's a wonderful passage. One of those passages that 
was incredibly influential on my life just as a teenager reading through scripture and coming upon that story and just thinking, oh, God is wonderful. His grace is far more magnificent than anything I could ever imagine. But you think then a little further into Israel's future as they fail to uphold God's standard, just think of the great miscarriage of justice that happened with Jesus Christ. Their Messiah came to them and they're giving silver to Judas to betray him. Jesus who had spoken publicly and had multiple times that they could have just gone and arrested him, but many times they didn't because it says, the text says they feared the people. So what did they do? Well, they give silver to Judas who betrays him with a kiss and a kiss and in the dead of night, they arrest him. Then they bring in false witnesses. False witnesses who wouldn't have to throw that stone. No, the Romans will take care of that for us. The Messiah that they had long awaited came and they disobeyed the very context of the fifth commandment, the very principle of the fifth commandment in arresting him and condemning him to death. What are some of our failures to uphold God's standard? I think there's obvious examples as a parent it's easy for me. My boys can attest to my many failures here. Obey me, right? It's very easy for me to see the, maybe the sin in my own children as they're failing to honor me. Maybe some, some more obvious examples we can think of even as I've gone through this text this morning, the way we treat our employers, those who God has placed over us. But I think some of the less obvious things that we need to realize that are failures, our failures to uphold God's standard is showing partiality and favoritism. We do that, I think, a lot more than we realize. Rather than seeking to serve as we looked at last week, even the least of these, we tend to gravitate towards those who are more, more like, most like us. We gravitate to those who might meet a, a felt need that we have. And those that are a little harder to get, get along with, well, I don't need to associate with them as much. We show partiality and favoritism. And what a, a horrible and sad thing for that to happen within a church. As in a little bit, we'll take communion. And I spoke about last week, one of the ideas we, we take it together is that we do it in communion with one another. As we are united to Christ, we are so united to one another in him. So we need to be a people who Don't look down on others. Don't show favoritism. It's revealed in our failure here is revealed in just the attitudes of our heart. 
as I've already talked about, even examples of our employment or how we might just consider, look to those who God has placed as authorities over us and, and have those evil thoughts, hot thoughts that aren't honoring God who is truly the one that we are serving. And again, a lack of prayer for our leaders. This is, even as I'm studying this and thinking of this, I'm like, man, I don't do this enough. It is so easy for me to complain. I, I use up many words in complaining about authorities. It's such a small amount of words, if any, to pray for them. This is not a political pulpit, but we are told to pray for our leaders. So I'm not, I don't stand up here in the pulpit and say one way or the other, left or right, that doesn't matter. Here, it doesn't matter. Left or right, whether you like them or not, you pray for them. As Sheldon said, talking about prayer this morning, you're praying for those who are lost. We pray because we know that it is God who must work. As someone has said, we, we truly, re, if, we under, if we paid attention to our prayers, we would realize that we believe in the sovereignty of God and his election because we pray, Lord, save so-and-so. Lord, please open the eyes of my child, open their ears so that they might believe and trust. Lord, my mother needs Christ. Call her to yourself. We ought to be praying for our leaders in the same way. The last point we want to look at Christ's perfection and fulfilling this standard. As, as I said, if I, I got more into this a number of weeks ago, back when we were doing a little Acts mini-series, as Peter in his sermon at Pentecost mentions the, the prophet coming after Moses and showing how Christ fulfills that. And I preached more on this text back then. I'm only going to briefly touch on it here to show us that the perfect leader and the perfect servant comes in the person of Christ. Moses points to him as the prophet who will come, the prophet who God himself will send. We must listen to his voice. And as again, as the text that Raj read from this morning, the voice comes out of heaven on that mount. This is my son. Listen to him. But we realize throughout, throughout this kind of point, a clear pointing to Christ in this prophet like Moses, we see that not only does he fulfill it with, as, a, as our perfect prophet, but he is also our perfect priest and our perfect king. He so perfectly fulfills all these roles. In John 12... Speaking on his speak, speaking on authority, Christ says, "It's not my 
own authority that I come under, but at the authority of the Father. He says, in fact, I don't even say anything unless it has been commanded me by the Father to say. But consider a few passages as we think of Jesus being the perfect authority figure and the perfect servant. John, 3, uh, John 13, the, the familiar passage in the upper room, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, he undressed himself. And then he clothed himself in the garb of a servant and he knelt down and he washed his disciples' feet. It's this picture of what he is about to go to do on the cross, a picture that is given to us, kind of the spiritual dimensions of it are then spelled out in Philippians 2. Though he was in the form of God, he did not, account equality, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. He undressed himself, taking the form of a servant, a form of a slave, putting on the garment of a slave, and obeyed God to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus, our creator, our sustainer, the one who has all authority, as he tells his disciples before his ascension, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Even he submitted himself to his father's will. Even he lowered himself, stripping himself of all that authority so that he might serve those who he was entrusted to serve. Giving his life as a ransom for many. I love, if you want to turn to 1 Peter with me for a moment, I love how how Peter spells this out. As I, I mentioned Peter near the beginning of the sermon, as how Peter speaks of obeying even those masters who aren't, aren't just. He continues on, 1 Peter 2, beginning with verse 19. Well, I'll just start with verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. 
He himself bore our sins in his body on the, on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So he who is described as a shepherd and overseer of our souls, our authority, he, he came and submitted himself to the worst kind of reviling. And he didn't, he didn't complain. He didn't threaten. But he submitted, obeyed. And I love that line at the end of verse 23. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. This is part of, you know, we recognize that what Jesus has done, done for us is a thing. He has not just done it as an example to us. That, that's a great fallacy that many people have is that Jesus is an example that then we just need to live self-sacrificial lives. But no, what Jesus, the atonement he purchased for us is a real atonement. He came, he gave his life as a ransom for many so that we are actually declared righteous before God. Not simply an example so that you do this and God will call you righteous. It's like, well, that's damning. Because we can't, do what Jesus has done. We all fall, sharp, fall short of God's glory, but that doesn't mean that there's not an example and he does give us an example and he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. As we submit ourselves to authority, even if we are suffering unjustly, we are called to continue entrusting ourselves to him who judges justly, to him who, has, who takes no bribes, who sh shows no partiality. We entrust ourselves to him. Christ humbled himself, taking the place as the submissive servant of God in order to fulfill all righteousness. Again, he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to protect us. He guards us. He keeps us. We are sealed in the Holy Spirit. So as we think about the fifth commandment, as we consider what Moses outlines here and the, the principle of honoring authority. And I think, as I said, honoring those who are under our authority. We have to first look to realize that the standard is, is God's standard. That we are ultimately serving him, but we are not alone in it. Christ has gone before us. He has done what you and I can, cannot do. And he has done it. So we rest in him, but we, we strive also in him entrusting ourselves to the one who deals justly. 
So going back to those questions I asked at the beginning, do you honor the authorities God has placed over you? Do you honor those God has placed under your charge? We must look to Christ. We must delight in his law, be able to say, as the song says, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. You need to realize that he has done this. He has declared it is finished. So he is worthy to listen to. This is my son. Listen to him. This is the prophet promised. Listen to him. He speaks my very word and he is my very son. He is, Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant. Jesus is faithful in God's house as a son. As we struggle in all these various ways under the, this idea of authority and submission and honor and obedience, Maybe one of the ways that we struggle the most is just is simply obeying God. How many of his commands do we make excuses for in our minds to sidestep, to say, well, you know, this once I think it'll be okay. Maybe it's things that we're omitting, things that we know that we ought to be doing that we don't do. To him who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. We need to look to Christ. We need to have a heart that says, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus and listen to him. As we come to the communion table this morning, we recognize once again that it is Christ who's gone before us, that he has come before us to fulfill all righteousness, to, to do the very thing that we could never do. We rest in him. We find our hope in him. We find our delight in him. But it is something that we do celebrating, rejoicing together, recognizing that we have a redeemer who is trustworthy, a redeemer who submitted himself and obeyed to the point that even death couldn't hold him. And he rose. So when we take this, we take it not only remembering what he has done, but also knowing and declaring as we take it together that he will come again. And he will come again as a judge. And he will judge justly. And if you are not washed in the blood of the lamb, as he took off his robes of, of righteousness and took on the, our filthy garments and placed that, the robe of righteousness on us, if you aren't wearing his robe of righteousness, his justice will be just and you will face sure condemnation. Eternal condemnation under the wrath of the Lamb. But I just said this is a table of celebration. That's because when we take this as, as those who 
profess and proclaim Jesus Christ and him crucified, we know that we don't fear the judgment anymore because we are covered in his righteousness. We are safe in him. We are washed. We are his. And nothing shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you don't believe that message, you're here this morning and you don't believe that, this meal is not for you. And it's not that we like to exclude people, that we're, we just want, we, we seek to exclude as many people as we can. No, the, what we want to do is invite you to this meal. But it is a meal that must be received by faith. So if you don't have faith in Christ, this meal is not for you, but we want you to believe. We want you to trust. So if you're in that place today and you don't trust and you have those, you have questions that you want to ask, please find me, find, find someone afterward and ask those questions. What is this gospel thing? Who is Jesus really? Because we want to inv invite you to this meal. This meal doesn't save us. It is simply a declaration, a celebration of what Christ has done for us. Let me pray and we'll celebrate this together. Father, we do praise you for your son who's gone before us. He's fulfilled all righteousness for us and Father, just to see even in him submitting himself, obeying to the point of death on a cross, obeying in the garden to the point where he is sweating, as it were, great drops of blood and, and, and saying, not my will, but your will be done. Father, I pray that you would help us to rest in such a wonderful redeemer. And as you are making us more and more and renewing us more and more after his image, Father, help that same thing to be the cry of our hearts as we are struggling against you and trusting that you have placed authorities over us, that you have placed others under us, and ultimately we serve you as we struggle with those things, Father. Help us to cry out. Not my will, but your will be done. Father, we praise you for all of these things. We praise you for your word. Pray your blessing upon us as we are nourished by this, by the elements of the communion table, this Lord's Supper, that you would nourish us on Christ and help us to rejoice. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation from Community Bible Church. For more information, please visit us at 6005 Edmondson Pike in Nashville, Tennessee, or online at cbcnashville.org.